0: Tonight, the foundations of a new trade agreement between Canada, the US, and Mexico are announced. Then, why the allegations against Judge Kavanaugh are just not credible no matter how you slice it? I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. So in very, very sexy news, it was announced that Canada and the U.S. have come to the foundations of an agreement for the next iteration of NAFTA, or what President Trump is now calling the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, USMCA for short. Here's a quick breakdown of what we can expect from the agreement. Now, Canada has a rather infamous supply management system for dairy, eggs, and some poultry, in which the Canadian government and agricultural organizations basically control how much of what gets produced. The argument for it is that it ensures there's no overproduction, of some goods and that fair prices are maintained for farmers. Now, obviously, that is an extremely protectionist, anti-free market stance, but it's not even the worst of it. Since Canada also imposes a 270% tariff on all dairy products that would come into the country, you heard me, 270%, you can imagine how the rest of the world feels about these measures. And if any of you were paying attention during the 2016 election, this issue will sound familiar. Since Trump made dairy a pivotal issue in renegotiating NAFTA, and having just come back from Wisconsin this past past weekend. Trust me, I understand why, you guys. You make a lot of dairy, and apparently deep-fried cheese curds are a thing that exists in this world. But after much posturing from the Canadian negotiators to pretty much nobody's surprise, the Canucks finally folded and made concessions for all of the supply-managed industries. Now, there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made here, but it is something, so score one for free trade. Next up, we have Carter's, another Privating subject to talk about. First, it was agreed that the tariffs President Trump was threatening to impose on Canada would not be implemented. And second, we're also seeing President Trump directly fulfilling one of his campaign promises by trying to bring jobs back to America. Under the USMCA, for a car to not get tariffed in North America, 75% of its parts must have been built in the continent, which will likely translate into more manufacturing jobs becoming available in the US. But the news isn't all good for the free market, since the new agreement also requires that almost, half of car parts made here must be made by workers earning at least $16 per hour. Now, that might not sound like a lot to auto workers in America, but that's actually a pretty significant hit to Mexico, which, believe it or not, is not particularly well known for its high-paying factory jobs. Now, mandatory price floors for labor are not something that I support, and frankly, if I were Mexico, I would be furious that a free trade agreement would include something like wage restrictions for workers, which has nothing to do with free trade, but it is easy to see why the U.S. would support something like this. Because while the Trump administration is definitely not known for supporting higher minimum wages, in this specific instance, it would actually make the U.S. relatively more competitive, but probably not change things much for American auto factories where wages are already on the higher side of things. And another hit for Mexico in this regard is that it had to commit to recognizing workers' rights for collective bargaining, which, again, will likely lead to higher wages. Unions are another thing that I'm really just not a fan of. Nothing about this relates to free. Free trade, but the measure will likely play well among blue-collar workers in the Rust Belt who are going to be getting more work as the prices in Mexico rise, and this does play into President Trump's America First policies. Now there are a few other less significant changes that will be put into the USMCA, things like stopping countries from levying duties on electronic goods, things like video games and books, and it also discusses the penalties for digital piracy. And the maximum that Canadians can buy from American stores online before paying duties was also increased from $20 to $150 as someone who buys a lot of crap online from the US that affects me directly and I appreciate it. Of course there's still a lot of negotiating to do and it actually won't be until the end of November that the deal is likely finalized and as of right now the United States has not backed down on the recently imposed tariffs on Canadian and Mexican steel and aluminum and Canada is hopeful to change that by the time the trade deal is signed. Trade agreements, am I right? What what a party. The next thing we're going to talk about is obviously the Kavanaugh case. Last week, when we covered the story on the show, the hearing featuring both Kavanaugh and Ford's testimonies in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee had yet to take place. But new allegations against Kavanaugh from his former Yale classmate, Deborah Ramirez, had just come forward. Now, fast forward to today, and since then, more unsubstantiated accusations have arisen, this time from one Julie Swetnick, who incidentally is being represented by everyone's favorite creepy porn lawyer, Michael Evanetti. Swetnick's claims Against Kavanaugh are probably the most outrageous, and she actually alleges, I'm not kidding, as I'm sure you guys have heard that Judge Kavanaugh took part in spiking the drinks of high school girls at parties so he could gang rape them. Yep. The allegations against Kavanaugh now literally include gang rape. And you know what, the discussions surrounding all these allegations have generally stayed away from addressing the credibility of the accusers themselves, at least when it comes to Ford and Ramirez. But there have been some interesting details about Miss Swetnick released in the past few days. As CBS News reports, quote, Julie Swetnick, one of the women who has publicly accused Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct, has an extensive history of involvement in legal disputes, including a lawsuit in which an ex-employer accused her of falsifying her college and work history on her job application. Court records reviewed by the Associated Press show Swetnick has been involved in at least six legal cases over the past 25 years. Along with the lawsuit filed by a former employer in November 2000, the cases include a personal injury suit she filed in 1994 against the Washington, D.C. Regional Transit Authority. So I'm not saying for sure that I think Swetnick is lying and that Heavenetti is a creepy, fame-hungry opportunist looking to exploit another legal scandal, but... I mean, I, I, I do think that. But regarding the Senate hearing, which did take place last Thursday, we all saw how Rhino Senator Jeff Flake, or Flakey Flake, if you will, trying out Trump-esque nickname, he folded under pressure from his BFF Democrat Senator Chris Coons and ended up voicing his support for an FBI investigation into the accusations against Kavanaugh. At the beginning, it was said this investigation would last no more than a week, a a week at maximum. The Democrats who pushed so hard for it insisted that there, there was no desire to delay or obstruct, no guys, they simply wanted to ensure that they had all the facts moving forward to the vote and that they weren't leaving any stones unturned. Better be safe than sorry. Well, predictably, and we're talking shockingly predictably, like right on cue, after the FBI investigation got the green light, it didn't take long before Kavanaugh's critics insisted that, hey, maybe a week just isn't enough. Specifically, Deborah Katz, Dr. Ford's lawyer, along with Senator Mazie Hirono, have been arguing that it's farcical, really, to try and limit either the scope or term of an investigation in a matter as serious as this. From what you've learned about the FBI investigation, will it be a credible investigation? That's going to be the big outstanding question. And I would think that uh, Jeff Flake and the other senators who are going for this investigation will call for... There's time, you know, the thing is that every Senate vote matters and there's there's time to get to the bottom of it, even if it's seven days. That's bad enough. But then to limit the FBI as to the scope and who they're going to question that, that really, I wanted to use the word farce, but uh, that's not the kind of investigation that all of us are uh, expecting the FBI to conduct. For his part, however, Mitch McConnell has insisted that the vote to confirm Kavanaugh will be happening this week. Period. End of story. Their goalposts keep shifting, but their goal had not moved an inch, not an inch. The goal has been the same all along. And so let me make it very clear. The time for endless delay and obstruction has come to a close. Judge Kavanaugh's nomination is out of committee. We're considering it here on the floor, and, Mr. President, we'll be voting this week. The truth is, an FBI investigation was never going to be able to cover anything that the Senate Judiciary Committee hadn't already. At this point, over 30 years after the fact, there's no hard evidence of things either way. So all the FBI could possibly do is interview people the Senate has already spoken to or gotten statements from that they've submitted under penalty of perjury. That's a pretty big deal. I don't think anyone is going to willingly go back on what they've said now. And what's especially frustrating about this whole circus is that no matter how clear the political motivations of the Democrats Democrats may be to a lot of us, the left is still trying to paint the situation as people who support victims of sexual assault versus rape apologists. And, And make no mistake, that is in no way the issue that is being debated here. The actual discussion at hand is whether we should torpedo a man's hitherto pristine career because of unsubstantiated, politically convenient allegations. And I know this may be a controversial thing to say. but. I don't care at this point anymore, I'm sorry. Dr. Ford's accusations are simply not credible enough to undermine Judge Kavanaugh's presumption of innocence. And for the people who think I'm being cynical because I'm just a rape apologist or misogynist, I'm really not. I'm looking at the evidence, or rather the lack thereof. In a recently released five-page memo, Rachel Mitchell, the Arizona sex crimes prosecutor who questioned Dr. Ford on behalf of Republicans on Thursday, highlighted the inconsistencies of Dr. Ford's testimony, and it turns out there were more than a few of them. The problem, Mitchell highlights include the fact that Dr. Ford has been unable to give a consistent timeline for exactly when Kavanaugh's assault of her allegedly happened. On different occasions, Ford has said the event happened in the early 80s, then the mid-80s, then specifically during the summer of 82, and she's also described being in her late teens when it happened, then on a different occasion claimed that she had been 15 at the time. Additionally, Dr. Ford has been unable to recall key details about the night in question, such as where it happened, who invited her to the party, how she got to the party or home from the party, and she's been inconsistent and about how many boys were in the bedroom with her at the time she was assaulted. And of course, the memo also discusses how none of the people Ford named as witnesses to the assault have corroborated her account. There are many more issues outlined in the memo, and if you guys haven't read it yet, I strongly encourage you to, you can find it online. But with all these inconsistencies, Mitchell ultimately concludes that, quote, A he-said-she-said said case is incredibly difficult to prove, but this case is even weaker than that. Dr. Ford identified other witnesses to the event, and those witnesses either refuted her allegations or failed to corroborate them. Mitchell then concluded that, I do not think that a reasonable prosecutor would bring this case based on the evidence before the committee. Nor do I believe that this evidence is sufficient to satisfy the preponderance of the evidence standard. I know there are some people out there right now saying, Relax, this isn't a criminal trial. This is just a fancy job interview. Kavanaugh doesn't need to be determined guilty beyond a reasonable doubt to just not be elected to the Supreme Court. Well, isn't that convenient? Apparently now, even just the feeling of, eh, maybe he did it, is enough to disqualify someone from service. But look, the presumption of innocence and due process aren't just legal terms. They're also social principles. Principles I firmly believe we should stick to. And I didn't see all these leftists so concerned with the moral certainty of political candidates when they were shilling for Hillary Clinton. But in any case, we'll see whether McConnell sticks to his guns and whether Republican senators finally confirm Judge Kavanaugh. But that's all for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time